Colossians 1, verses 28 and 29. Let's go ahead and pray before we hear God's Word read and before we hear it preached this morning. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word, We're thankful that it does not return void, but that it accomplishes its purposes. We pray that that would be true this morning. We stand upon that promise. May your word go out this morning, may it bring faith where there is none, may it increase faith where faith is languishing. May it rebuke where there is need. May it exhort where there is need for encouragement. May it bring solace where there is need. May it bring rest where there is need. We pray that in a way that only you can do, that you would speak to every single person in this room as they have need. This preacher cannot do it. No man can do it, only you by the power of your Spirit. And so we lean into you and lean upon you this morning. We pray that you would work in our midst. We pray this in the strong name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Colossians 1, verses 28 through 29. This is the holy, inerrant, sufficient Word of God. Him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom in order that we might present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all His energy, which He powerfully works within me. Though the grass withers and the flower fades, the Word of God is forever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, I'm going to do it again this morning. I'm going to do it again next week. We'll see if you got it memorized by next week. Uh, but we do something a little different here in January. At the beginning of the year, uh, we take a break from a kind of regular diet of working our way expositionally through a book of the Bible, and we do what we call our faith focus. Uh, each year, our elders identify something that they want to see more in the DNA of University Reformed Church, something that, ah, oh, just want to grow in together. And, and so we preach on that during the weeks uh, of January in our morning services, and then we come back in our evening services and we preach through it practically in our evening services. And then we work it through all of our different ministry areas um, and have our growth group study it for the month of January, maybe the month of February, and just try and get that more within the DNA in our church. Now, this year's faith focus is a little different because our elders this past year took about nine months or so to work through the vision for our church going forward and thought, let's make that our faith focus as we go into this year. Let's put the vision before the congregation. 
Uh, you'll remember two weeks ago we looked at our mission or kind of the overarching banner over URC. Why does URC exist? URC exists to glorify and enjoy Christ. To glorify and enjoy Christ. That's, that's our mission. That's our kind of banner over everything that we do. And then we said there are three pillars underneath that banner These three pillars have always been true of URC, and by God's grace, we want to see them true of URC as we go into the future. And that is that we are committed to proclaiming Christ, growing in Christ, and advancing the mission of Christ. We looked at proclaiming Christ last week, we'll look at growing in Christ this morning, next week we will look at advancing the mission of Christ. And then we said, what? Let's do this at our evening services. Let's look at, we're going to just take that advancing the mission of Christ, that last pillar. And from that, you are see, the elders said, let's establish some goals that we have, some things that we're going to focus on in the next three to five years. And that's what we are preaching through in the evenings. Last week, we looked at our church planting, and we talked about the desire to try and plant Three churches within the next five years. Tonight we're going to look at our fellowship program and think through that together. And then next week we're going to look at our outreach, our university outreach ministries and reaching the campus for the sake of Christ. And so we'll look at those in the evening service. But this morning we are looking at that second pillar, growing in Christ. I want to look at the same text. We looked at the text last week, so we're just going to take some, some different things from this text as we build upon last week as we consider proclaiming Christ. And so just highlighting a few things this week as we look at growing in Christ. And the first is this that I want you to see. Notice that when Paul is writing out this statement here in verses 21 and 22, as he's putting forth his vision, his understanding of his ministry, he uses the same word, everyone, three times. He says, him we proclaim, warning everyone, and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When you see a word repeated in a small space of time in the scriptures, you are meant to take notice. It's there for a reason. There's repetition for a reason. It's meant to, to capture your attention. And, and I think there are two reasons that Paul is doing it here in our verses. The first is that he is combating the false teaching that was happening at Colossae. There was a false teaching that was saying that part of the gospel is for those that are of a more elite stature in the body of Christ. And Paul would say, no, 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 no. The gospel is for everyone. There are none in the body of Christ that are above others in the body of Christ. There is no elite brand of Christian. A second is very similar. Notice he does not say all mankind or all humanity. This is not just a universality, but a personal reality. He is making it clear that the message of Christ is for every single individual. For everyone. Every 
person. Every single person matters to Paul because every single person matters to God. Everyone. Now he says, he warns everyone and he teaches everyone for a purpose. And here's the purpose. That he might present everyone mature. That's the great goal of his ministry. That's his aim. To present everyone mature. But notice that he qualifies that maturity. He says that the aim of his ministry is to present everyone mature in Christ. 20 or so years ago, I was uh, standing with a, a Christian mother we didn't have children at the time, Lee and I, and I remember standing with this Christian mother, and she was telling me about parenting, and she said, my great aim and goal in raising my daughter is to send my daughter out into the world as a fully functioning, contributing citizen. I didn't have children, but I remember walking away from that conversation just absolutely devastated and shocked by what she said. Because that's not Christian parenting. That's not the goal of my parenting. The goal of my parenting is to send out my children in the world as fully functioning, contributing Christians. That's my goal. Now, I can't cause that. I can't make sure that that happens. I can't control that, and neither can you. But that is the maturity I seek. For them to know and be mature in Christ. That is, in fact, the aim of all Christian ministry. From pastoring, to eldering, to discipling, to counseling, to parenting, to fellowshipping. We labor to see maturity in Christ. Notice that ministry for Paul does not end with bringing someone to Christ. It's not the complete gospel message if we simply offer what some have called fire insurance. He's not just aimed at saving us from hell. He's saving us to himself. It's not just that we are saved from death, that we are rather saved that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so as a church, we are not content with ushering someone into a shallow Christianity or a stunted Christian faith or a limited Christian experience or a truncated Christian life. We want to go deep, deep in Christ. We minister to one another seeking to grow to full maturity in Christ. This is not a social gathering. This is not a simple refuge from the world. This is not a formal meeting place to go through the paces of religion. As a church, as a people that are united together, we are seeking to live a life unto Christ. We want to worship Him with all, all of our heart, 
soul, mind, and strength. All. As we said, we have these pillars in our ministry here at URC. We're proclaiming Christ. We are growing in Christ. We're advancing the mission of Christ. There's so many good things that we could be doing as a church. So many good things. But, but these are the things that we are committing ourselves to that we do and help determine why is it that we do this but we don't do this. Well, we proclaim Christ, but it doesn't stop there. We're also seeking to grow in Christ as a body. And so we bring the Word to bear in all of our different ministries in the church. And we have all of these different ministries in the church so that you and I are growing in maturity in Christ. And so we have Dig Ministry, which seeks to help our youth grow in Christ. We have all of our children's ministries in the children wing. We have VBS for this reason. We have our college ministry ministry and our college class and SCF and our international ministry so that we are seeking to grow our college students in Christ. We have our women's Bible studies and women doctrine studies and men's studies and truth and hope and all of our growth groups and all of these Christian education classes and they're all aimed at one purpose, to grow us in Christ. We want to see everyone mature in Christ. Because we believe truncated Christianity is not Christianity. As Archibald Alexander, the famous old Princeton professor said, he said, where there is no growth, there is no life. A healthy state of piety is always a growing state. That child which grows not at all must be sickly. And so this was Paul's aim. To present everyone mature in Christ. This was Paul's aim. To present every single one of them before the throne of God mature in Christ. I often think about that as a pastor, as a husband, as a father. He said, I have to present those that I'm responsible for. I have a responsibility for your souls as a pastor. I have responsibility for my wife's soul as her husband. I have responsibility for my children's souls. And, and my great aim, I labor and I toil because I want to present them mature in Christ. Aid that as much as I'm able. That's why we do ministry together. was Paul's aim, and that is our aim, maturity. We seek to grow in Christ. Now, what are we talking about? Let's first say what we're not talking about. We're not talking about our right standing before God, our adoption as His children, or our union with Christ. All those are fixed. No one in Christ can be separated from Christ. There are no degrees in our justification or adoption or union. We are fully and completely and finally justified if we are in Christ. Our adoption is secure. Our union with Christ is absolutely eternal. It cannot fade. It cannot diminish. It cannot disappear. All of that is fixed. We're not talking about that. Neither 
When we talk about maturity, are we speaking about perfection? Now, in some of your Bibles, some of your Bible translations, it takes that word, mature, that's here in the ESV, and it translates it as perfect in Christ. And and that's within the semantic range of that Greek word teleos here. It, It could be that word, but that's not Paul's emphasis here. That's not what he is communicating. No one, despite the teachings of different pastors and theologians in the history of the church, no one in this life will ever be perfect in Christ. No one. Not you, not me. I love the story of a seminary student who came up to his professor one day and he said to his professor after class he he told him that he no longer sinned and the professor replied to him well that is too bad for you because you just sinned and then he quoted to him from first john 1 8 if we say we have no sin we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us Every Christian will fight against sin until we reach glory. Every single one of us. Which means that every single one of us needs to grow in Christ. Mature is the right word here. What does that mean? It is maturity in the sense of becoming proficient in a subject. In a word, growing in maturity in Christ simply means that you and I are looking more like the one we love. That's what it is. It's just becoming more like the one we love. Peter will say it this way in 2 Peter 3.18. He'll say, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Notice that When Peter communicates this, it's a command. Grow. Grow. It's a command for you in Christ. There's effort that you have to expend. There is a striving. There is a toiling. You're to go after this. It's something that takes effort. Why? Because there are two different gravitational pulls within the one soul of the Christian. The old man, though he is crucified with Christ, he still remains. And that old man, the flesh, it it keeps pulling back and fights against the spirit. There is this continual fight between the flesh and the spirit. Or you could see it as two dogs. You have two dogs that war within your soul as a Christian. The one seeking to devour the other. And as one becomes stronger, the other becomes weaker. And as the other becomes stronger, the other becomes weaker. And what makes the one dog stronger than the other? You feed it more. If you want to see the power of sin diminish in your life, you don't feed that dog. If you want to grow in Christ and you seek to love and grow in holiness in Christ, you feed that dog. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, Peter said. Now why? Why should you seek to grow in Christ? 
I'm going to give you three quick reasons. We seek to grow in Christ because it gives glory to God. It blesses those around us. And it's for your good. It gives glory to God. It blesses those around us. And it's for your good. Growth in Christ gives glory to God. Be holy as I am holy. That is His constant refrain for His covenant people from the beginning to the end. Be holy as I am holy. That is the mark of His people. We are to so love Him that we want to become more like Him. There's a beautiful illustration of this that we have all seen in life. That little boy, that son, will emerge out of his bedroom early on a morning and he'll have a belt around his waist and he'll have tucked into the belt a, a plastic hammer and on the other side a plastic wrench and he'll have his hat on backwards. And where did he learn that? Well, he was watching his dad on... Saturday mornings, piddling around the house, acting like the king of the jungle, and going around and fixing things with his hat on backwards. He wants to be like him. Or that daughter who will put on her mom's high heels and sling a purse over her shoulder that drags on the ground because it's so long on her, and she'll try and clump around the house in high heels that are five times the, the size of her foot. She identifies with her. She wants to grow up and be like her mother. The child of God wants to grow up to be like their father. The more we look like Him, the more we give glory and praise to Him. Second, Growth in Christ blesses those around us. Those who don't know Christ receive benefits from our growth in Christ. The world cannot ignore the growing Christian. Friends and families and co-workers and neighbors will see the change. And they will either hate it or they will love it. But they can't ignore it. J.C. Ryle said it this way, he said, The Christian who is always at a standstill to all appearances, the same man with the same little faults, the weaknesses and besetting sins and petty infirmities, is seldom the Christian who does much good. The man who shakes and stirs minds and sets the world thinking is the believer who is continually improving and going forward. Men think there is life and reality when they see growth. When people look at our lives, do they think what we have believed is a reality? Because they see growth. Third, Growth in Christ is for our own good. It's the greatest blessing, the sight of glory. To know and experience more of Christ. You were made for this. 
You were remade for this. The universe of delight is found in Christ. I want to look at two things at the end here. Two things. What growth in Christ looks like and then the evidence of growth in Christ. So what does it look like in the evidence of growth in Christ? What does growth in Christ look like? First, growth in Christ engages the mind. As we spoke about last week, God works by His Word. It is Christians who over a lifetime continually who are reading and meditating upon and praying through the Word both in public and in private who make the greatest gains in Christ. They are those that sit at the feet of Jesus just wanting a word from His mouth. They know the most necessary thing like Mary did. They just want to receive. If we want to grow in Christ, we must engage our minds in Christ. You are always in the school of Christ. There's no matriculation from this school. You can't get to the depths of Christ. You can't learn everything that there is. In fact, you'll be learning for all of eternity more and more about Christ. Always learning. It should be a mantra for the Christian. It should be written large over all of our lives. Always learning. Because He's infinite and He's grand and He's great. It means reading and studying and thinking are necessary. Doctrine and theology are necessary. Understanding more and more doctrine and theology is necessary for you. I know some of you eat books for breakfast. And there are others of you that uh, it's hard to think about reading one book a month. Feels like a chore. We're all different. Some will be slower, some will be faster, some will be able to digest at a higher level, some will remain at a lower level, but each of us is to be learning. Every one of us. This is just part of growing in Christ. Let me just give you a few tips along these lines. Read through the Bible every year. Every year. Now I know some of you say, I've tried it. It's laborious. I feel like I'm just checking the box. I understand that. Read through the Bible every year. It's not too late to start this year. I can almost offer this as a guarantee. You will read more Bible by planning to read through the Bible over a year than you will with any other program. And you need to be reading the Bible. Every day. Commit to reading a Christian book for simply 10 minutes a day. We can all do that. You brush your teeth for 10 minutes a day. Some of you sit and look at the back of that Rice Krispies box that's at breakfast trying to find your way through that maze for 10 minutes a day. You play Candy Crush for 10 minutes a day or more. You can read for 10 minutes a day. Just 10 minutes a day before you go to bed at night. You would be amazed how many books you can get through by reading 10 minutes a day. But here's the trick. Don't read what I call jello Christian books. 
There's so many jello books out there. They're, they're flimsy. They have no substance. They're all artificial coloring and additives. There's nothing there. There's all kinds of those out there. No, you're seeking to grow in maturity in Christ. So read good Christian books that affect your soul, that stir your mind. In that regard, I encourage you always read. Have one book you're always reading that's above your ability. Not like a kindergartner sitting down and trying to read astrophysics. Not that. But where you're reading some Christian book and you go, I don't understand 50% of this. It was um, the other night I was tucking Grayson into bed, just saying goodnight, going in and praying with her. And I looked over at her, my daughter, I looked over at her bookshelf and I saw two of my books on her bookshelf. And, uh, and I said, why are those two books on your bookshelf? And one of them in particular I wanted to know about because it was written by a theologian that I have trouble understanding. And I said, why, why is that book here? She said, well, I was interested in it. So I read the first chapter the other night. And she said, and I got done with the first chapter and I realized, this is really above me. I don't understand a lot of this. And delighted me. I love it. You read something that's 50% above your ability and you return back to it in a few years and you thumb back through that book and you'll realize, I understand now 70% of it. I understand 80% of it. I understand 90% of it. It always works this way in every sphere of your life. You have to press in to where it's not just easy and sometimes not even enjoyable to grow. If you want to grow in the mind, you have to seek to grow in the mind. As one theologian said, the natural body will grow without our thinking about it, even when we are asleep, but not the life of piety, which only increases by and through the exercise of the mind, aiming at higher measures of grace. Growing in Christ engages the mind. But growing in Christ also engages the heart. A truly growing Christian is growing in their affection for Christ. They find Him more beautiful. His law more of a treasure. His gospel more astounding. His grace more incomprehensible. The growing Christian reminds themselves over and over, they truly know nothing if they only know it with their mind. God looks upon the heart of a man. To grow in Christ, you have to grow in heart. Next, growth in Christ is gradual. It is almost always by degree. And it's most often imperceptible to us. And I think this is one of the great graces of God. So that you and I don't get puffed up and proud about our growth in Christ. Paul will say this to Timothy. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. He expects that others will see it. And often it is others that see it before we see it in ourselves. 
And this often causes a lot of struggles for Christians, especially those of us who came to faith in college or came to faith later in life as an adult, because there was a radical change from what we were in a moment to what we became in Christ. A radical change. And you begin to think this is normative for the Christian life. But it's not normative for how God works in sanctification. He often and most normatively works by degrees. You just grow a little bit in this area. And over time, it's a monumental change. I was looking this up this week. What does it it mean when a ship is just off course by one degree? If a ship is off course by one degree, it misses its target by one mile for every 60 miles it sails. That means that if a ship went around the equator just off by one degree, that one degree, it would end at its destination 500 nautical miles off course. Just a change by one degree can have awful effects. And it can have great effects if you're on by one degree. Our growth in Christ more often than not comes by degrees, so you keep at it. It is the great pursuit of the Christian in this world. But next, having said that, growth in Christ, though it is our great pursuit, it is His great work. That's why I had us confess from the larger catechism this morning. So that you were saying it. And I hope you were thinking about it while you were saying it. It talks about all of that striving, all of that efforting, that you and I are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. That we are to put in. We are to work out our salvation sweating. And yet to realize that it's all work of His Spirit. By His Word. It's His Word. It's His great work. And so there's rest even in it. We employ His means. We effort and strive. We do so with fear and trembling. But it is God that ultimately works within us. And He does that so that we are dependent upon Him. You and I are dependent upon Him. Even as our justification is all of grace, so our sanctification is all of grace. And thus we labor, but we labor as those with our eyes fixed upon Jesus. We seek His blessing from above, and He loves to give good gifts to His children. So as children, we run to His throne, and we keep crying out in prayer, Oh, bless me with more grace. Conform me more and more to Your image and likeness. Because it's all of His grace. And yet, as Thomas Watson said as a rebuke, which I think we all need to hear, he said, Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Isn't that awful to think about? <laughs> Run to the throne of grace. That's where your help comes from. Finally, don't have time to detail all of these, but let me just quickly list for you evidences of growth in Christ. First, you grow in your love for the lost. 
pains you to know people and see people that have not been brought from darkness to light, that are still living death, and it stirs you to action. Evidence two, you're growing in your love for the church. Living for Christ means living for His bride. It is impossible to love the Savior of the church and not love the church of the Savior. This is His family. As we care for Christ's body, we show care for Christ. There are many of you, some of you I even think while I look around this room, uh, that you hold a special place in my heart. And it's for this reason, is because you have shown special attention or care or love or kindness to my wife or my daughter or my son. And I love them. And you loved me by loving them. We love Christ by loving His bride. So that when we serve one another, when we volunteer to help one another, when we disciple one another, when we counsel one another, when we exhort one another, we do to Christ. Next, the growing holy discontentment if we are growing in Christ. Growing holy discontentment. You hate your sin. You're not what you want to be. And you know you aren't what you should be. So you don't wink at sin. You don't play with sin. You hate it. And you want to kill it. Related to that, you have a growing contentment. In Christ. Become more and more content in your circumstances. I was this week, uh, I think it was Tuesday, I was headed into the church. I had been sick, better now, I had been sick for three and a half weeks. And uh, in some form or another, and clearly I was not evidencing uh, Christ-likeness that morning, because Leah said to me just in passing, she said, Jason, have joy in Christ today. And then my daughter came up to me and gave me a kiss on the cheek, and she said, Daddy, have a good day. And I remember walking out of the house thinking, I'm joyful? What are, what are they talking about? And then I'm driving to church, and one of the members of our congregation texted me, they were struggling, they said, with contentment that morning. And were wrestling with something. And then they gave me this long quote of something that had encouraged them to be content in Christ today. And I said, all right, Lord, I understand. I got it. Just not content today. Be content. There's a growing contentment in your circumstances. I was trying to quote it. 
had just thought about this morning while I was sitting in pew and was trying to dream it up this morning in the first service. So somebody looked it up for me in the second service. But this Elizabeth Elliot quote comes to mind. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. A growing Christian has a growing contentment. Next, a growing delight in Christ is evidence of growth in Christ. You just treasure Christ more and more. You love Him more and more. You love to think upon Him, to serve Him, to worship Him, to pray to Him, to read of Him. And you simply want to see Him. You want to be with Him. More and more. Because he's the one that bought you. He's the one that saved you. And you love him more than anything and anyone else. So that leads to the last. You long more for glory. That is the evidence of growth in Christ. You more and more want to be absent from the body because that means being present with the Lord. Some of you are understanding that better this morning than you have any other morning. You want heaven because you want the Christ of heaven. And so you fix your eyes there. You store your treasures there. You labor for your commendation there. You set your affections there because He is there. If heaven tattooed upon your heart and you have emblazoned heaven upon your mind. Because he's there. And you just want to be with him. It's a church. We don't want a truncated Christianity. have all of Christ. Want to be fully mature in Christ. Want to become more and more like the one we love. And so we seek to do that together. Growing in Christ. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are thankful. Thankful for so great a salvation. We're thankful for so great of a Savior. And oh, we are ashamed that we do not look more like Him. We pray that You would pour out Your grace upon us and that we would find We're striving more by your grace to look more like the one we love. Longing for that day that we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Can't wait for that day. Help us to keep growing in Christ, growing in grace until that day. We pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly.
for we long for it. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.